Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey guys, my name is Alex and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Listening more specifically to a kind of return to form, and this is going to be like a normal episode, there's a little scripted thing, but I wanted to talk in the beginning about where I've been for the past two weeks. Basically, I finished the second draft of the book that I've been working on called Cuba Fruit, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to put my fucking head down and I'm going to get... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish editing the second draft very quickly. I wanted to plow through it, devote hours and hours to the manuscript every day, wake up super early on the days when I'm doing a double at the restaurant, take Cuba Fruit to whatever handful of pages to the coffee shop near my job and, you know, edit three or four of them before I start my shift. And I've definitely been keeping to that regimen, but I've been finding that the, it's, it's moving slower than I anticipated. If you're a member of uh, the Thousand Movie Project Patreon page, first of all, thank you very much for doing that. But you will also have heard some of the Patreon-exclusive episodes where I talk about the process of working on this book. And one of the things I was recently talking about over there was the fact that, like, the first draft obviously is entirely creative. You're just writing this thing into existence from scratch, and you're just sort of roping it out from your guts, like like, like you've r- swallowed a roll of dental floss. And then, once that's done, you type it up, and you start editing it. And now that is, you're taking the first draft and you're turning it into the second draft. And that is a very, very creative process, too. On every page, I'm cutting out two whole paragraphs and writing a new one that synthesizes those two paragraphs and eliminates some of the fat. And so my conception of this process, as I've done it a number of times now, Cuba Fruit is the sixth book that I've written, it's generally the case that the first and the second draft, the construction of those two things, is an entirely creative act. And then, once the second draft is done, and I'm editing that and turning it into the third draft, that process is less artistic than it is architectural. It's about rearranging the blocks, about making the story move with a little more momentum. It is moving along inexorably. It it feels very vivid and alive to me, but it's just fucking doing that at a way slower pace than I had hoped. I do have one section, well, I have several sections, but one in particular that I like that is self-contained. And it's, it's pretty much done, done. And if you would like to read it, I will mail you a small, you know, bound, hard copy of that self-contained section. I don't know if I'm really in an emotional position to be accepting criticism about it, so I'm not expecting anyone to get back to me with what they thought about it, uh, good or bad. Really, if you ask for this and I send it to you and you get it, don't feel obliged to read it because I will never grill you about the impressions that you took away from it. And another thing, I, I mentioned a couple episodes ago that if you wanted to get in touch with me, you could send an email to thousandmovieprojectpodcast at gmail.com, which was very a very cumbersome thing. But the reason I, I made an account with such a cumbersome name is because I wanted to have an email account where you could get in touch with me through the podcast, and so I tried to make thousandmovieproject at gmail.com, and it was like, that account name is taken. And I was like, who the fuck has a... Th-? And I, it was inconceivable to me that's, that someone has this. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna... I'm going to fucking email whoever has this. And so I go, after I make thousandmovieprojectpodcast at gmail.com, I use it and I send an email to whoever has thousandmovieproject at gmail.com. And I said in the email, like, hey, I have a thing that I've been doing for several years called Thousand Movie Project, and I'm just wondering, how is it that you came 
to use this account. And so I send the email and then you've got mail. It's me. I, my phone buzzed when I sent the email. I made that email account like five years ago, never used it for anything. And uh, so, yeah, if you if you want me to mail you a hard copy of um, Cuba Fruit, well, uh, of a certain contained passage of Cuba Fruit, uh, you can just send me your mailing address. You can uh, send it to Thousand Movie Project at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram it's thousand movie project spelled out as three words and uh, just send me a direct message there with your mailing information and I will send you the booklet but so that's where I've been that's what I've been up to and now here is uh, the here's the here's the episode yeah 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 Guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. I'm reading a biography at the moment of Ludwig van Beethoven, and incidentally, it, sh- it points out in the book that, like, in a lot of Beethoven's correspondence, people would spell his name Beethoven, P-E-E, and then the rest like Beethoven. It's a little historical insight into how people were pronouncing his name back at the time. Not Beethoven, but Beethoven. Anyways, I'm reading this biography because apart from having this bucket list desire to someday be able to understand classical music because because I've, I've always associated classical music with like refinement and culture and intelligence and i've always wanted to be the sort of person who can go to a concert hall and hear someone with a violin go like like me and then when i hear the violin do that i i, I hear it and i go like I agree. Because like every now and then I'll hear someone talk about a Beethoven thing or a Mozart thing and they're like, oh, this is, this is the thing, this is the co- composition where fate is knocking on the door, dun 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 dun, and, and fate has brought a pie, but, but, but was asked to bring a pizza. And confusion ensues and, and, and the composer fights with fate about what they're gonna have. I hear these, these constructions about classical pieces and I'm like, How, where the fuck did you hear that? I didn't hear that. And it makes me feel like I don't, and I just feel stupid. After Beethoven composes his first piece of music, it's like very amateurish, he's 12 or 13 years old. His tutor at the time said, young Beethoven's life um, has finally picked up momentum. It's just unclear what direction it's going. And I thought about that this morning while watching a man in a thong dance outside of Brickell City Center at 10 a.m. Brickell City Center is a big sort of affluent shopping mall in downtown Miami, and it's in the area where I, I walk over there and, and I get coffee in the mornings and I do some writing. It's 60 degrees outside and, and traffic is going full bore, and this guy, he, he does this almost every morning. He's very fit. Uh, he's got a portable speaker, also very charming. His, he's got a buzz cut, except on the back of his head, his hair has grown into the shape of a heart, and it has dyed the, the colors of the LGBT rainbow in stripes. So he goes out there with his portable speaker and his, his thong or his short shorts, and he cranks that shit to maximum volume, stands on the corner and just dances, dances, dances to electric music. The, the sort of music that is like all bass, just bass, 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 bass. No, there's no ramping up. He's a great dancer and also equally entertaining is that whenever a cop pulls up he fucking runs like he packs his shit up really fast and gets the fuck out of there which is easy to do in downtown miami because all the streets go one way so if the cops are chasing you in one direction and you're on foot like just turn around but anyways when i see this guy on a regular basis doing his dance out on that street corner early in the morning on a weekday my immediate inclination is to think like okay 
this man is probably mentally ill, or maybe he's on drugs. But at the same time, like, that's just a reflexive way of thinking, but at the same time, like, this dude could be perfectly well-adjusted, and in fact, he could just be, like, prodigiously confident, prodigiously comfortable in his skin to know that the thing that brings him most reward, most uh, greatest sense of satisfaction and of purpose, is to stand on a street corner and provide a bit of entertainment to everyone going by. Because whenever he's doing this dance, the legions of people walking up and down Brickle Avenue are almost uniformly videotaping him. So too, regrettably, are, are, are many of the drivers. I have, I have four friends, four close friends, who tell me that they are afraid to get tested for Asperger's because they're convinced that they have it, that they, they exist somewhere on the autism spectrum. Which I do understand, because that would be like very humbling news, I guess, like if you're an adult. But also, at the same time, that's like exactly the grounds for why I kind of don't get that, I don't understand that apprehension. Because obviously, if you're like a well-functioning, gainfully employed adult, and you have friends and significant others and hobbies and you're, and you're learning shit and you're enjoying life, what the fuck does it matter if a doctor says like, oh, hey, by the way, you have this condition? When I was in high school, I took this long IQ test. It took, it was like six hours long, did it over the course of like two or three days. And at the end of that whole evaluation, like, I, I went away for a couple weeks, the psychologist did his assessment, I go in for the consultation where he sort of breaks down the results for me, and he says, um, hey, so just so you know, you've got a learning disability. And I was like, no, no me digas. I was also, like, 15 years old, so that, factor that into my fucking histrionics here. But I was just like, fuck, man, what do you mean? I got a learning disability. And he was like, well... Your abilities in the realm of spatial configuration are in the 23rd percentile, meaning like 100 is the top, 23rd is not good. And what it means is that, you know, this, this disability might manifest in your daily life as, you know, you have a really hard time assembling furniture, for instance, or, or doing math. And I heard everything he was saying, but I was like, yeah, doctor, I, those, those things are true, but, but what about my learning disability? And he said, well... Alex, being in the 23rd percentile when it comes to spatial configuration and, and math, it, it means basically that, you know, you're bad at puzzles, you're bad at matching your outfits, um, you're, you, you probably will never successfully divide a set of fractions. And I was getting impatient, and I was like, Doctor, I know all of that stuff, but what about my learning disability? <laughs> my point is that he told me a bunch of shit that I already knew about myself, the only difference is that he was telling it to me as like, okay, there is, he was saying basically like my package of, of human intellectual deficits, there's a name for it. <laughs> or just that there's a scale for measuring it. And here's where I am on the scale. The only discernible benefit of that experience is that for one thing, he confirmed that I'm, I'm even more of a linguistic rock star than I realized, which made me feel good. But also number two, he said that um, if I wanted, on the basis of this learning disability, he could write me a note that would get me extended time on standardized tests. But when he made that offer, I was like, oh no, you don't, nope, nope, because I was too proud. I had, I had several friends in high school who were way better than me in class, across the board, better than me in all academic arenas, and they had better grades, they had more friends, and these people got extended time on their standardized tests, or on like, they were sometimes selective about it with, you know, in, in, in class, and they would only use it for, like, midterms or finals. And, like, nobody gave them shit about it. Like, no one, no one said, oh, you take, you fucking need ten extra minutes on the exam, don't you fucking moron? No, every, nobody gave a fuck. I don't think, like, 
I really don't remember ever having a sustained conversation about that. Meanwhile, I have this deluded sense of, you know, oh, everyone's gonna think poorly of me, and so they offered me extended time on standardized tests, and I was like, no, nobody can know about my disability. And then I got a 900 on the SAT, which is not a good score. And like, I like, I don't talk shit about it because I have found when I say that to people in, in you know, the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, whenever I've mentioned, oh, I got 900 on the SAT, a bunch of people were like, oh yeah, me too. Or they're like, oh yeah, I did worse. So it's obviously, I realize now that virtually none of the metrics by which human value and human intelligence were, were quantified in high school actually mean a broken fuck to what you can what you amount to or or the way that you present in social settings as whether intelligent or not intelligent compassionate not compassionate but it's so but at the same time that I was like petrified at the prospect of anyone learning that I had a learning disability I would like go to the lunchroom and basically I would st I would do like a stand up routine about the fact that I couldn't divide fractions and sucked at jigsaw puzzles and I was wondering if the dude from the corner of Brickle City Center, with his thong and his boombox and his magnificent dance routine, if he went and he had that long IQ test, would he be upset if the doctor was like, yours is a diagnosis featuring a fearsome propensity for wearing thongs in frigid weather and dancing to trap music at busy intersections on weekdays? Like, would that guy be... Like, would that guy be upset? Would he be sitting on that therapist's couch, like, plucking nervously at his G-string, like, Por Dios, no me digas. I have a feeling he'd be really fucking cool with it. I have a feeling he'd be like, yeah, no, what, but, but what about my disability? The other night while closing up at, while closing up the bar where I work, a big, for the first, this is the only time it's ever happened, but a big cockroach came out of the drain in the floor and it just stood there. I'm pretty sure it was looking at me. And fortunately I had like a, maybe not fortunately, I had a bucket of bleach in my hand. So I just threw it on him and, um, and it died immediately, not, it died. But I was thinking at the time, like, I, I hate that I am so freaked out by these fucking cockroaches. I hate that they claim such dominion over the entirety of Florida where I live and that I am thus condemned to encounter them, to, to face them in battle all the time. That phobia feels like more of a disability to me than my ineptitude with math. The fact that I, if I look at a big cockroach, I am instantly fucking paralyzed, like seized with terror. One time in high school, I went on a field trip. I don't remember if it was to a zoo or a museum, but, but there was like an entomology exhibit. And the person who was lording over these insects in like his fucking khaki outfit, he pulled up, he reached into a, like a fish tank without any fish in it, and he pulled up a bunch of hissing Madagascar cockroaches. And as he's doing his demonstration with them, of course, everyone's like, understandably, they're not being weak, they're not being weird or fucking pansies. They are responding to the fact that cockroaches are essentially a confirmation of other worlds because they are without question a sexually transmitted disease from hell. Everyone's flinching, whatever, but I think I, I think he saw in my face, the guy in the khaki outfit, he saw in my face that I, I did not flinch, I froze. And that like, I froze like someone had just pulled a knife. I froze like I was in the presence of a predator. I think I froze in a way that subconsciously manifested my unspoken conviction that a, the, that, that, that one inch cockroach is the predator and I, a 160 pound teenager, am the, am, am, I am the prey. And so he's got his whole shtick, of course, he does this routine with teenagers 
all day, every day. And uh, he saw me and he goes, hey, what's your name? And I was like, my name is Alex. And he goes, here, Alex, hold out your hand so you can feel how the cockroach clings to you. And I was like, man in khaki pants, how about you go fuck yourself? Don't ever address me on the topic of cockroaches again. And he thought it was like my reticence was funny because obviously it's part of his shtick during demonstrations. He tries to focus on someone who is prodigiously afraid of bugs and watch them squirm because it's good for the audience. That's why Fear Factor was such a fucking hit. Nobody gave a fuck about the athletic um, challenge at the beginning of the show or the sort of heights fear thing at the end of the show. Everybody wanted to watch people like lay down in a pile of snakes and cockroaches and eat an uncooked bull's testicle. But anyways, this dude is, is like the audience obviously is finding it very amusing. And so this dude keeps fucking pressing me about it. And he's like, he's holding up these roaches and he's like, Alex, come on, just hold it. And at one point he like took a step toward me with an, with an arm full of cockroaches. And like, I had to put my hands up and I was like, Sir, I'm not kidding. If you get close to me with cockroaches all over your arm, I have no idea what I'm going to do. The thing that I am most afraid of in this situation is myself. Please stand down. And he was like, oh, come on now. Alex, what are the odds of me getting you to pet this cockroach? And I was like, I can't figure out the odds of that equation, sir, because I have a learning disability. <laughs> listening to the Thousand Movie Project podcast. If you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more of it, you can of course check out our back catalog, but you can also support the show by becoming a patron. If you go to patreon.com forward slash thousand movie project, or if you just go to patreon.com, there's like a search bar. I don't know if you can find this show if you just type in my name, but definitely if you type in the name of the show, it will come up. All those donations get pulled up and they amount ultimately to like what I would earn at a every month, what I would earn in a shift of bartending, which means that every now and then I can take off a bartending shift and just churn out an episode. Apart from providing some financial breathing room, it's also super like encouraging to think that anyone is listening to this and they're like so interested and so supportive that they're going to like throw a few bucks at me. Like, so for the, for the financial well-being of the show, the regularity of the show, and for the, the warming kernel of encouragement, you can, again, Go to patreon.com, search for a thousand movie project podcast, and make a make a pledge. As usual, thank you for listening, and thanks for your support.